0: Dan Mack is back, and this year she has sought out the best customer-centric thought leaders from around the world. Are you after practical, accessible, and customer-centric marketing? You're in the right place. Sit back and enjoy Dan's small business podcast. For more information, go to www.daniellemckinnis.com or visit www.mckinnismarketing.com.au. Um, so I'm delighted to have Adele Ravela on the show. Um, Adele, thanks for being part of this this morning. That's great. Thank you for, being, for asking me, Danielle. I really appreciate it. It's great. Well, look, I came across um, you and the Biopersona um, Institute when I was looking into Biopersonas. And I guess like most marketers, I've sort of taken the approach that, you know, it was something that I could sort of fill out and sketch out as um, you know looking for tools and templates and when I came across your site it, it was great because it allowed me to dig a bit deeper and look at that strategic viewpoint can you sort of give listeners a bit of a background as to you know how you came to develop the institute and and why it's a little bit different to perhaps some of the templates and things that are out there that they might have come across
1: yeah that's a very good question Danielle and I think the re- the answer really begins with uh, the purpose of buyer personas, which is to have marketers have, you know, a fresh look at what it is that buyers want and really to be guided by these personas into something that's helpful to them, that's new and, and really changes how we approach our jobs. And, you know, it just sort of never made sense to me that we would just take all those sort of knowledge that we have, I call it tribal knowledge, inside the company and just sort of repurpose it into a new format, uh, that this is, you know, basically what we're doing with a template is we're just taking all the misinformation and confusion and, and misunderstanding we have about buyers and just putting it in this new template. And, you yeah, know, that's, that's really not, not what we're here for. We're really, the buyer persona is so much more powerful than that. Mm-hmm. and has the potential to really change our understanding of how buyers approach the decision to choose our products or solutions or services and and in that way to make us far more effective marketers because of these surprising things we can learn about them.
0: Mm. So I, I agree. I, I, that's what I, it struck me when I was sort of going through. I was wondering whether you could sort of dive into these five rings of insight that you talk about, because that's for me, struck a chord.
1: Yeah, so, you know, and I probably, I should probably add as sort of background that I've spent almost 30 years in B2B marketing for relatively complex sales, products that buyers give a lot of consideration to. And I think it's different for B2C, as a matter of fact, I know it is, but for B2B products, um, we've learned that understanding the buyer is not so much about their demographics, so much about their job title or the company they work for, what industry they're in or what geography they're in, but rather about understanding how they approach a buying decision. And so I decided to just try to build a framework, a model that would make it easy for marketers to understand just the key things they need to know. because. If you try to learn too many things about your buyers, you'll build too many personas. Mm -hmm. So, so I'll take you through the five insights. And a little bit, this comes from my background. I did spend out of my thirty-year career, I spent a little bit of that time in sales, and also a little bit of time managing salespeople. And so, these five insights really come from trying to understand the buyer persona at the same level that a sales rep would strive to understand just one buyer Mm -hmm. and the first thing that any good salesperson knows and that any good marketer ought to know is that we ought to understand what's going on in the buyer's organization when they start looking for a solution like ours so i call that the priority initiative insight and this really tells us as marketers which types of buyers are really interested in our solutions and it gives us a clue as to why some buyers seem to just go on without our products or services or solutions and be perfectly fine, or why some to be, seem to be so easily persuaded that a competitor is better than us. And it's it's often in that priority initiative insight in whatever happened in the organization that triggers particular buyers to look for us. And so that's the first insight. Mm-hmm. And the second one I call the success factor insight tells us from the buyer's perspective, in their words, how they measure the result that they're going to get out of buying this solution. So, you know, we could sit down in a room, and we do as marketers, and build a list of benefit statements. And we do that generally by reverse engineering what our product does. So, we come back with answers like, well, our product will help you grow your business, and be more efficient and lower your costs and so on and so forth. And, you know, (laughs) it's it's really fascinating because when we sit down and interview buyers, we find out that those are their first answer to the question. But, you know, that's such a generic answer that when we write that in a message or in some content, it doesn't impress the buyer because every competitor and every product says the same thing. Mm. So the success factor al- insight allows us to get deeper into what that success is, what it means to the buyer, and the details about what their expectations in the- are in that area. Mm. The third insight is the perceived barriers insight, and I like to call this the bad news insight because it is, it's the bad news. It's Here's the reason why your buyer doesn't believe For better or for worse, whether it's right or wrong or indifferent, they have it in their mind that your solution is not the best way to achieve their priority initiative and success. Mm -hmm. And we want to know exactly what that barrier is. Because, like any good salesperson, if we know in advance what the objections are, what the barriers are, then we can um, build some marketing campaigns, some materials, some programs, some content to address those barriers. Mm And, and, and the important point here is perceived barriers, because these are perceptions, and they're not always about the facts. matter of fact, they're frequently not about the facts, but about the perceptions. Mm-hmm. The fourth insight is the buying process insight, and a lot of people call this the bu- buyer's journey, and I'm fine with that. I don't care if you call it a process or a journey or if it's circular or linear or
0: <laughs> horizontal
1: or all the things that people are saying. What I do care about is that you find out from real buyers... Who's involved in the decision at each phase? And I remember I'm talking about a relatively complex B2B purchase, and I want to know for any particular buyer persona that I have to influence, I want to know what their relative impact is on the decision at each step in the buying process, and I want to know kind of who's on our side and who isn't, Mm. and I want to know how they formed that opinion so i want them to tell me and we do this we teach marketers to do this through a really simple interviewing technique to have buyers tell me that about all of that detail so that when i go to build my marketing content and my messages and so forth I'm targeting the right people at the right point in the buying process. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to target everyone at every step because that's not true. The C-level buyers are usually very involved in the beginning and then they kind of step out for a while and more junior-level people are involved and then the senior people come back in again at the end and so forth. So that's the kind of thing I want people to find out in that insight. And then the fifth insight is the decision criteria insight. And this is the nuts and bolts of your product or your company or your service or all of the above that your buyer is evaluating and comparing you against your competition on and what we're really looking for here is to get to those three or four or the most five things about our capabilities that really factor into the buyers decision because so many of us as marketers and trust me I've been there are confronted by product launches and having to build messages and trying to figure out what's unique you know what our unique selling proposition is what's the unique value and unfortunately when we interview buyers we find out that what matters to them and what they actually evaluate us on may not be what's different Mm -hmm. and so we want to find out from the buyers what are those criteria what are their decision criteria what are they actually evaluating us about It sort of seems like logical, doesn't it? But
0: so many don't do this. I don't know. It just seems... I had this discussion with... um, I'm trying to remember who I interviewed a little while ago about... Are there certain people that just have that um, empathy or affinity to want to understand and others are comfortable with this assumption or making um, or presuming things because... It seems to me, is it just too hard or is it that um, people aren't aware that this is a great way to sort of build a strategy?
1: Yeah, it's not too hard. That's not it. (laughs) What what is it? Because it just seems like it's not there. (laughs) <laughs> it's, not, it's not been there. I, well, yes and no. I mean, I've been doing this work for 30 years. Um, so I learned to do this back in my very first marketing job 30 years ago. But I, I think there's a, a, several factors. And I think primarily it's that marketers really haven't been viewed as a strategic asset. Mm. And especially in the technology industry where I've worked, companies have been so convinced that their product differences were sufficient to be a source of competitive advantage. They really looked at marketing as kind of a support organization mm. and maybe get a few leads and then the salespeople would take over. Mm. But now we're finding that, you know, buyers are 57 to 80% of the way through the buying decision before they were talked to sales. And, you know, comp- it's a cultural change that's huge for companies. It, mm. it, there's a little bit of skills, but, that you know, frankly, we train marketers in a few hours to do these interviews and you don't have to be, you know, like some empathetic genius to be able to do these interviews you just have to ask the right questions and know how to probe for some answers and that's really what takes just a couple of hours of training I I really think that as we see companies starting to implement our methodology what we see is this cultural resistance to having marketing even talk to buyers Mm. it's just companies say you know that's the salesperson's job and the salespeople know the buyer's and, you know, people are just really convinced of that. And, you know, marketing was just sort of supposed to churn out this material. So, it's, I, I think we're part of a revolution and it's a very exciting time for marketing where a lot of marketers have hoped to be more strategic. And finally, the need is there where companies are starting to say, you know, we can't just say what's unique about our product. We can't just describe our product. We really need marketing to be persuasive. Mm. And I don't think people expect, I think they expected marketing to generate awareness and maybe be informative. Mm-hmm. But this idea of marketers as persuaders is has just never existed until recently. Mm. And
0: I think that also um, in one of your blogs you mentioned a lot about content marketing and how that's, you know, a big part of, I guess, that is informing or educating um, you know, buyers in that journey because, you know, the, the process is that they are discovering all this information before before we're perhaps dealing with them in a sales conversation. Um, and it strikes me that, that all of this insight has a lot of applications. It, yes. It, so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and how you use this information.
1: Yeah, so great. So, um, so yeah, so there's... Four major areas, and I can spend a little bit of time on each, depending on how much deep you want to go here. But Mm -hmm. the first is really targeting slash segmentation. And so, you know, companies have historically... Done all their targeting and segmentation by demographics. Mm. And, um, you know, so we'd say, well, we're in we're targeting people in the healthcare industry or in the finance industry or people in companies that have more than X employees or more than certain amount of revenue. And, you know, what and it was sort of a it was a very crude instrument for targeting because it's it was an attempt to say, you know, kind of draw a circle around the market and say well this portions most likely to buy from us but when we really look at the five insights we get we realize that that circle was very crude and it was really not accurately drawn and that in fact we've either left people out or we've in with it we should have been included that really would have been interested in our solution because their priorities are the same their success factors are the same their barriers are the same you know and it, or We find out that there's and or we find out there's people inside that circle who are never going to buy from us that are just Mm -hmm. even though they're in the right size company, they're the way they the way they define success is different or they've got a different attitude or a different buying process. They're not going to use our channel or their decision criteria is such that they're really zeroed in on the one missing capability from our product, you know, Mm -hmm. and and so their decision criteria inside so it's first targeting and segmentation and when we do personas this way we end up with a with a very small number of buyer personas compared to the demographic approach Mm. so that's the other problem people started building buyer personas and they took their existing idea about segmentation and they just said well we're in five industries and there's three job titles in each so now we've got 15 buyer personas and that's crazy (laughs) <laughs> it's insane it doesn't work it's like ludicrous nobody could support that as a marketer yeah. and so what it allows us to do as far as targeting and segmentation is draw a circle around people who are receptive based on those five insights way better so that's the first objective the thir- the second thing it serves is uh, messaging so, this is huge for marketing. It's sort of the foundation of everything we do as content marketers really building a core value proposition, yeah. a message, knowing not just what questions our buyer's asking, but what answers are going to impress them. Um, we've got a whole methodology. It's actually a separate workshop that we deliver that's just around how do you now take your buyer personas and build a core value proposition that's specific. Yeah. Because if you say, "Well, we have the flexible, scalable, compatible solution, and we 're the market leader, so that your competitors said the same thing exactly yeah that makes sense and so that 's huge. Um, the third thing that it helps with is prioritizing your marketing investments. where are we going to spend our money? where are we going to spend our time as marketers? Huge problem for all of us. And then justifying that decision, you know, both building that plan and defending that plan internally against all those people in the company who think we should be doing something else, Mm. something different. You know, we need to be at these events. No, we don't. We need to be at this activities. No, we don't. And when we really get the insight around buying process, buyer's journey, um, and we know which personas are key at that step. And where they're going and what resources they're trusting, it really helps us with prioritizing our investments. And then when we layer on top of that the insights about what influences them at each step, what they want to learn about our product from the other insights, from the uh, decision criteria and success factors and barriers, Mm -hmm. then we actually know what to put in those assets that we're delivering. And even some of the creative aspects of it are defined by that.
0: Well, certainly, um, the messaging and the priorities make total sense to me, but can I give you an example so say yes, say a b2 b company had what they called was their ICP you might have heard of that you know their ideal customer profile, although you know a buyer profile is slightly different um, but say they had they had developed something that they believed was their ideal customer. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and they hadn't used this criteria at all. They'd used more of a demographic type approach, you know, a, uh-huh. a certain number of people in the company, a certain vertical. And then what they decided that their next key step was to actually buy a list. And yes. So, and so they went and bought a list and then they went about doing their marketing, which is such a common thing in
1: B2B. Yes. Can you yes.
0: tell me what the alternative is to doing that? Or is that a good decision?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, so that is a, f- a factor is that list purchases are always based on demographics. Exactly. So there isn't any list in the world that you can purchase that says I'm looking for a company that has these priorities, these success factors, you know, these barriers and so forth. So what the persona does is it helps us do a gut check on whether the kinds of what we've learned about these buyer personas is actually likely to be consistent with the lists we're buying. Like how true is it? We at the final stage of the buyer persona work, mm-hmm. we look for correlations that are demographic. And so we find we see if there but it's this final step rather than the first step. People usually start with demographics. Mm-hmm. Instead, the in insights start with the buying decision, and then they get to the end if there's a demographic correlation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, you know, we, we find out if that's really good or not. I mean, the, the, sort of the, the fact of the matter is, is everyone who's been buying lists, so you're doing email marketing, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody knows that's working more and more poorly every year. There isn't a single marketer I've spoken to who says that, that's, that it's increasingly effective. And so I think the real fact is, and so so people would call that push marketing, whereas pull marketing is let's be where the buyer is when they're looking for us. And so as far as uh, that aspect of segmentation, it's more relevant to pull marketing. It's more relevant to how you organize your website once they get there. Yeah and so you know once they've arrived so let's try to be in the right places let's say the right things let's be persuasive in our messaging and then when they find us on our website now that they're there we can we don't we can throw away demographics we don't care about demographics we shouldn't organize our website by industry or by job title or by role that's another mistake marketers are making mm. but rather based on what we've learned about their priority initiatives, their success factors, their barriers, then their stage in the buying process. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, we deliver a much better experience at that stage, you know, to actually convert people. Yeah, so. because you're talking...
0: You're about right,
1: though. For list purchases, this doesn't help very much. It's very rare that the buyer personas align with a demographic.
0: Yeah, I was thinking it. And you're right. It's sort of push versus pull, but what I found in b2b is they still do a lot of push um, yeah and a lot less of pull, which is sort of you know I I know there's probably a blend of both but um it just seems to me that if you if you're actually talking about the customers problems or potential customers and you've really done that not just on gut feel but really on research surely that's you know that's going to be more effective even if you're talking to less people you're talking to the right people and about the right, right things it just sort of makes sense to me
1: there's, um, there's, one, there's one final purpose that I didn't get to talk about and sure. it's actually the most important value of buyer personas and that's for sales alignment mm. and so I, I think just about every marketers had the experience of standing up in front of a sales organization at the launch and saying you know one of two things here's here's our marketing campaign or here's what the product does and the salespeople are not paying attention. Um, what, when we can stand up in front of the salespeople and say, we've been interviewing buyers and here's who wants to talk to you and here's who doesn't and here's how to tell when there's somebody that wants to talk to you and when that somebody who doesn't because we've spoken to these people we know how to tell Mm -hmm. here's what's going to impress them here's the objections you're going to face here's going to who's going to be most impactful at each stage in the buying process and here's going to who's going to want us and here's who's not going to want us and here's all the messages and content we've built to be effective with these people out on the on the uh, once you get that buyer Mm mm-hmm and this this has this is where we have the chance as marketers to really impact and start to build alignment with the salespeople. Uh, so you know, even if you can't, if you think about it, if you can't use your buyer personas for your email list purchases, you can use it for the messaging to those buyer, to those people. You can use it for. determining your investments and you can use it for sales alignment Mm -hmm. and i still believe that you know email is going to die a slow death except for people who have already got far enough into the buying processes they've self-identified themselves as one of these personas Mm -hmm. and we're starting to see people using marketing automation to identify people by their buyer persona rather than their demographic yeah. And then once people have opted into email marketing, um, not through a list purchase, but rather they've opted in, now we can market to them according to their persona. Absolutely. So and I, I suspect the list, the list purchase companies aren't very happy with me right now, but no. I think that's the only phase of the buying process where this isn't helpful, for <laughs> the marketing process. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so what I see is that
0: it helps, you know, have um, the, the salespeople and, and enable them to get to that sales conversation based on, you know, real key identifiers or, or you know, issues and problems and things that they can actually use in their conversations that will make them more effective. Um, mm-hmm. What I'm also interested in is after that decision's been made and they're brought on, is there anything in the Buyer Persona Institute that helps with that experience
1: once they've actually become a customer? Do you know what I mean? am s- no, I'm sorry you lost me. Um once the so, um yes, Yeah, say so, again.
0: so once the um once we've actually, you know, bought that buyer into our business and they've become a customer, uh-huh. can you use the same sort of um, personas oh and things,
1: I see to yeah.
0: take them through the journey as a customer
1: <laughs> yeah so th- that's a great question Danielle I um, I like to point out that buyer personas and customer personas are very very different personas mm-hmm. and that's because really with a buyer persona and this is again one of those sort of obvious things that we sort of forget about we're talking about a person in the context of a buying decision mm. And when we are talking about a customer persona, we're talking about a person in the context of having already bought and now they're a customer. Mm. And so what we care about knowing about a customer persona and what they care about learning from us are very different when they're in the buying process than once they're a customer. And so if we're really thinking about buyer personas, it's very, very focused on persuading buyers and then we would have customer personas and the persona part could be the same, but the insights and what we need to say to those people and what is, you know, helpful to retain customers is different than what is helpful to get buyers.
0: Absolutely. It's a different
1: objective, yeah.
0: Absolutely. And what I'm finding is, I mean, not that many companies have got this buyer persona right, but let's imagine a, a great company that's doing it really well. I think yeah. that once they've actually got that attraction model working and it's they're invested in it, and they keep um, keep it updated and they keep going through that process. That from the other end, then they're actually able to um, perhaps focus more on their customers and look at those opportunities to wow and delight them along that customer journey, which is the bit that I'm quite interested in because there seems to be an intersection between that and, and service design Um, Yes. In terms of, okay, we've got the front end right now. Um, Let's actually look at how we can, you know, ramp up that experience from or what are the the problems we still got and how do we actually build on that each time?
1: Yeah, and you're right, Danielle. It's usually in the service model. It's usually Mm -hmm. either something in the product or service area, which is why... I have found that in general, the people that I'm marketing to around buyer personas don't have as much impact or potential to impact the way that works out Mm -hmm. as other parts of the organization. And so, usually, you know, trying to fix service problems or product problems is is invested elsewhere in the company, especially in big companies, um, you know, the larger the company. Uh, So, it's... Uh, you know that's why I've decided to just focus on buyer personas but you're absolutely correct that you know there are companies who do a great job getting me to buy their product and then after that they just make me feel miserable which is you know not a good plan
0: <laughs> yeah it'd be kind of nice to see it all the way through because there's obviously yeah. some like you said it's the same buyer um,
1: yeah and it's the be, same person it's the same, it's the person. same
0: person yeah and same persona exactly and to hold their hand all the way through would sort of make some sense in terms of continuity but um but it's often in different departments um so can you give us some um ideas of how we can use the um the institute and what would be sort of some good starting points for you know people that are listening to this and saying yes well that's something that i need to do
1: yeah yeah so definitely and thanks um it's We've decided to just try to make this idea of interviewing buyers as accessible as we possibly can. And so we've developed workshops which are available to teams or to individuals, and it's really two different kinds of workshops. Um, And so those for people that are in small companies or individual contributors can now attend the Buyer Persona Masterclass which is um, a recorded training that's on our workshop Uh, I'm I'm sorry on our website and people can just come there and I mean, you guys are in Australia and I'm in you know the Pacific Northwest in the United States we have very different time zones and actually your part of the world is one of the reasons I recorded this workshop because you know we're sort of on opposite time clocks Mm. but you can watch it while I'm sleeping (laughs) And it's it's five modules, and it takes you all the way through from how to, um, first of all, the five insights in far more detail than I provided today, mm-hmm. and that's module one. And then we teach you how to find people to interview and choose who's the best people that are going to give you the most insight mm-hmm. and how to recruit them so that they'll actually agree to meet with you. And, and then we teach you how to conduct these interviews. And no, you don't have to be any, you know, especially empathetic person. Uh, in order to do this because there's actually a methodology and a structure for the interview that we teach. And then in the fourth module, we teach you how to aggregate your findings because it's, you know, people are used to aggregating results of surveys and so forth where you can just add up numbers, And but people needed, we, we provided a template to make it really easy for people to take the results of these interviews and build their personas and then in step five, in the fifth module, we just have a short introduction to um, what you can do with your personas. So how to do messaging. went a little deeper than I did today and enable the sales forth and so forth and so forth. And, and then what we have is once a month, we have a live interactive session where we um, I get on the phone and, and with a group of people that have been through the class, people can register and just let me know which class they're going to attend. And we conduct a role play. So I do mock interviews with people and answer questions and and make it real for people. And I haven't yet had enough requests from Australia to um, schedule that at a at a time that's friendly to Australia. But if we get just even a half a dozen people who have attended the master class in your part of the world, then I'll schedule one uh, for late afternoon my time, which works great for your time. Uh, and then we do have a, a a customized workshop that we do in-house so if people have teams or four or more then we actually interview your buyers record those interviews in advance of the workshop and it's a full eight hours of training and it's very interactive and we can do that online or on site Oh, so, It sounds yeah. awful,
0: awesome and um, and I hope we get enough I'm going to put my name down <laughs> because <laughs> it's something that I, I just think is just such a fantastic resource and it's, and it's the way that we need to do strategic marketing it has to come from insight and um, so I think you're doing a fantastic job and um, it's it's such a great resource and you've got so many great tools on there to make a start so I'll put some links to your website and blog um, after the interview and yeah I just want to thank you so much for your time.
1: Oh, it's been great, Danielle. And, and I love I love Australia. It's one of my favorite parts of the world too. I've I've uh, been to Sydney several times and it's a beautiful country. So, haven't seen enough of it. Maybe I'll get back down there again soon and we can have a cup of tea. That'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> Thank you. Hey.
0: Thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast. For more great marketing tips, go to Dan's blog at www.daniellemcginnis.com and sign up for her marketing tips or visit her website at www.mcginnismarketing.com.au. Catch you next
1: time.